ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah we praise him seek his assistance and forgiveness seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds Whoever Allah guides there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray there is no one that can guide him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. We'd like to continue this evening in this our ninth lecture from Kitab al-Tawheed by Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah and the explanation al-jadeed al-jadeed fi sharh kitab al-tawheed by Shaykh Muhammad al-Qara'awi Hafidhullah may Allah protect and preserve him this evening the chapter that we want to discuss is entitled Bab ma jaa fi ar-ruqa' wa-tama'im Bab ma jaa fi ar-ruqa' wa-tama'im that is a chapter dealing with that which has been said or that which has been reported the evidences related to ar-ruqa' and at-tama'im and these two things along with the third matter at-tiwala at-tiwala which is also mentioned in this chapter the topic of al-shirk in that in some way or another each of them is an act of shirk or can be in certain circumstances an act of shirk the first of them ar-ruqa it has been translated by various translators of kitab al-tawheed as incantations magic spells or theurgy 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 is according to Webster's dictionary a system of magic practiced by Egyptian Platonists and others professing to have communication to have communication with and aid from beneficent deities yani theurgy it is a form of magic or something related to magic in any case all of these translations fall short in explaining the correct shar'i or islamic legal meaning of ar-ruqa and perhaps the closest of them might be incantations except that the connotation that one may that may come to mind in reference to incantations is also related to magic when in fact ar-ruqa it is the plural of ruqya and in the text of the book the shar'i kitab al-tawheed in english it is mentioned as ruqi ruqi 
and perhaps it's a mistake due to the printing in the book. The word is spelled Ra Qaf Ya, and it should be Ra Qaf Ya without two dots. Yani alif maksura. So since the two dots was there, they they printed they wrote the name as Ruqi when it should be Ruqa. The correct pronunciation is Ar-Ruqa. It is the plural of Ruqya. Ruqya. And Ar-Ruqya, it is Al-Qira'ah, reading or recitation. And that recitation, it is the recitation of something which the one who has been afflicted with sickness or some harm hopes to have that sickness removed due to the recitation of these words. And Ar-Ruqa is also known amongst the common people as Al-Azaim, Al-Azima. And it is of two types. It is of two types. This reading for the purpose of curing someone or removing some affliction or harm, it is of two types. One type is permissible and the other type is not permissible. The permissible type is that which is free of any type of shirk. It's free of any words of shirk calling on other than Allah or using words that contain the meanings of association, of making something equal to Allah or having hope in or fear from something other than Allah. Whenever this type of recitation, it is free from any type of, of shirk and it fulfills three conditions, then it would be under the first category of ar-ruqa, that which is permissible. Those three conditions are number one, that the one who uses this ruqya or ruqa, they should not believe that this recitation or reading, that it in and of itself alone, independent of Allah, has any ability to cause harm or to bring about any benefit. Yani, they should not believe that the ruqya has any effect on them, independent in and of itself, independent of Allah. But in fact, they should believe that whatever benefit comes from this ruqya, if it is the lawful type of ruqya, the benefit that comes from it, it is by the qadr of Allah and the qada of Allah. It's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, and this is the first and most important condition and the condition that is agreed among by all the scholars. That the person shouldn't believe that this ruqya has any effect in and of itself, but that if any benefit comes from it, it is by the qadr of Allah and the qadr of Allah. The second condition about which there is some difference of opinion is, is that it should be in the Arabic language and perhaps more correctly, the second condition should be that it be in a language or in words that are known and understood its meaning. The scholars, most of the scholars said that it should be in the Arabic language, in words whose meaning is understood. Because the people who are making these conditions, they based it upon the fact that their language was Arabic. So it should be in the language of the people, and it should be in words or expressions whose meaning is known and understood. And number three, that those words, the third condition is that those words should be from the speech of Allah, that is the Qur'an, or the names and characteristics of Allah, the asma and sifat of Allah, or the speech of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi yani supplications or words of remembrance that are authentically reported from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And actually, also this condition 
some of the scholars differ about and said that even if it's not from the Quran or from the Sunnah, but they are words that are correct and proper and don't contain any meaning of shirk, if a person supplicates to Allah with proper and correct Islamic words, even though it's not from the Sunnah, asking for Allah to heal someone, this is also a ruqya and it's acceptable and permissible. So of course to use the Quran or the supplications of the Prophet or the names and characters of Allah are preferable. So these are the three conditions for the ruqya that is lawful, that it should be in a language that's understood, it should be from the speech of Allah, the Quran or the Sunnah or the names and characteristics of Allah, and most importantly, the one who is using this ruqya should not believe that it has any power in and of itself, but that if it brings about any good, it is from the qadr of Allah. The second of these three matters is at-tama'im, and at-tama'im, it is the plural of tamima, tamima. And this has perhaps more accurately been translated as uh, talisman or amulet, and it actually means something that is tied or put around the neck of a sick person or even a healthy person and a sick person to heal them or a healthy person to protect them whether that which is tied around their neck or it even may be tied around their arm or their hand or their feet or any other place but commonly it's tied around the neck uh, that which is contained in the pouch or the packet or the pages or whatever they have tied around themselves it may be from the Qur'an or other than the Qur'an. If it is from the Qur'an, some of the scholars allowed it and some did not. And if it's from other than the Qur'an, then it's rejected. This is a tamayim, amulet or talisman. And it is normally used for healing or to protect someone from al-ayn, the evil eye. Uh, and it is also sometimes put around the neck of children to protect them from harm or one's animals. And even today we find it commonly being used in different, in many, many different forms to protect people's property, their houses, their automobiles, trucks. You see many of the big trucks here, uh, the people have tied pieces of cloth, black cloth or blue cloth or different colors. All of this is tamayim and it is haram. Uh, for the most part, a tamayim it is rejected by the majority of the scholars and those who allowed it only allowed it in the case if that tamam is containing something from the Qur'an. But the correct opinion is that even if it's from the Qur'an, better to avoid it and it shouldn't be used. And the reason why is because the prohibition against using a tamam in the text of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ are general and are clear. And if there isn't any other text which exempts some types of tamayim, then that means it's general and it covers all types and therefore it shouldn't be used. Likewise, it opens the way. The use of tamayim containing Qur'an opens the way for the use of tamayim which contain other than the Qur'an, which are definitely prohibited while the first type, that which contains the Qur'an, is uh, doubtful. There's difference of opinion about it. And thirdly, the third reason why it shouldn't be used, the stronger opinion is that all types of tamayim should be avoided, is because the person who attaches to their body this tamayim or this tamima, especially if it contains the Qur'an or the names of Allah, inevitably they will degrade or disgrace or humiliate the Qur'an or dishonor it by at some point or another having to go to the bathroom or the toilet and they take the Qur'an in those places where it shouldn't be taken and for this reason it is better that it be avoided. The third of these three matters is at-tiwala and at-tiwala is something that the people make which they claim 
and it has been translated as bewitchment. Allahu alam. I don't know what's the best word to use for it. Uh, spells or some type of any potion or something that the people use, which they claim causes a man to love his wife or a woman to love her husband. And it is a type of magic. In fact, Abtiwala is a type of magic. And the reason why it is referred to here in the matters related to shirk is because when a person uses that thing thinking that it can bring about some benefit or some harm by turning someone to, towards someone else to love them or turning them away from someone whom they love, whoever believes that, then this is a form of shirk. And that's why it has been mentioned here, though it is originally a type or a form of magic, but it is mentioned here because of the belief of those who believe that it can cause some harm or bring some benefit and all harm and benefit only comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first hadith that the Shaykh mentions, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab rahimahullah, he says, Sahih an Abi Bashir al-Ansari radiallahu anhu, it is reported in the Sahih, in fact it is reported in the Sahihain al-Bukhari and Muslim, from Abi, from Abu Bashir al-Ansari radiallahu anhu, anhu kana ma'a Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, fi ba'di asfarihi, فَأَرْسَلَ رَسُولًا That he was with the Prophet ﷺ on a journey and he, the Messenger of Allah, sent a messenger, someone, to go out to the people and لَا يَبْقَيَنَّ فِي رَقَبَةِ دَائِرٍ قِلَادَةٌ مِنْ وَطَرٍ أَوْ قِلَادَةٌ إِلَّا قُطِيَةٌ He sent a messenger to go out to the people and to, to, to tell them and to inform them that no قِلَادَة and قِلَادَة is that which is tied around the neck uh, of the animals usually, and sometimes it may also be tied around the neck of a person, like a string or a rope, or a necklace, and he said that, no qilada that's made from watar, that is, the qilada that's made from the bow string, the string that they used to use for the bow, the bow and arrow, the string that they used for, which was taken from an animal, from a sheep, when that string was, yani old, and they wanted to replace it, they used to take it and tie it around the animals, believing that it can protect them from al-ayn, he said that no one of these bowstrings should remain around the neck of the camels except that it should be cut, yani it should be cut and removed. And in this hadith he said, uh, he mentioned qiladatun min watr, like a bowstring, or qiladatun, or any type of necklace around the necks of the animals, illa qutiyat, except that it should be cut. And the scholars said that the second report in the, or the second expression in this hadith, Qiladatun, was due to the doubt of the narrator, he was unsure. The one he heard it from, did he say, Qiladatun min watar, a bowstring, or Qiladatun, or any type of necklace, from any type of material. And the correct opinion is the first, that what is referred to here is that string which is taken from the string that's used for the bow, when it was used up, and they used to tie it around the necks of the animals. Because this was the belief of the Arabs in Jahiliyyah, that this type of string, and in fact everything that's similar to it, that they may tie around the animals or themselves, thinking that it has some ability to bring about good, or to protect them from some harm, it has the same ruling, that it is prohibited, it should be cut or removed. And the Shaykh says, in the general meaning of this hadith, Shaykh al-Qara'awi, Allah, that here Abu Bashir al-Ansari radiallahu anhu, informs us that he accompanied the Prophet ﷺ in a journey and the Messenger of Allah ﷺ sent a messenger and that messenger was Zayd ibn Haritha radiallahu anhu to order the people to cut the necklaces that were made from bowstrings 
which they had tied around the necks of their camels. He ordered them to cut them. And that was because the people in the days of ignorance and jahiliyyah, they used to believe that tying the string around the animal had some means of protecting them or preserving them from al-ayn, from the evil eye. From this hadith, the shaykh mentions a number of points from amongst them, the obligation of speaking out against munkar or evil, yani rejecting or speaking out or prohibiting evil when one comes to know of it. Likewise, the acceptance of khabar al-wahid, yani that if news came to someone from a reliable reporter or through a reliable chain of narration, even if it's from one person, it should be accepted, unlike those who said that it has to be mutawatir. Uh, the third one is the rejection of the belief that there is some benefit from these necklaces of any type, whether from bolstering or otherwise. Uh, here this hadith proves that such things have no benefit whatsoever. And the fourth point is that the one who represents the leader of the Muslims, the Imam, uh, if he has been sent as a representative, then he stands in the place of the Imam or the leader or the ruler and is able to do what the ruler is, has entitled him or authorized him to do. This hadith is related to the chapter that which has been reported concerning Ar-Ruqa and Tanayim and that this hadith indicates the prohibition of tying these necklaces around the necks of the animals or anyone else or anything for the purpose of preventing harm from coming to it. And the reason why we say that it proves the prohibition is because when the Prophet ﷺ rejected it and ordered that they be removed because of the fact that it is a type of shirk, this is a proof that they are prohibited. And they are prohibited and they are considered a shirk because the belief that the people have in them that they have some ability which only belongs to Allah and that the people should turn to Allah instead of turning to any, anyone other than Him yani this is the relationship between this hadith and the chapter heading and likewise the relationship between this hadith and the, and the book of Tawheed or the subject of Tawheed is that this hadith uh, points to and indicates that such actions as using these bowstrings uh, thinking that they have some power or other such related matters uh, that they can prevent harm when the prevention of harm is that which is the exclusive ability and right of Allah alone this is a violation of a tawheed it is a falling into shirk the second hadith the shaykh mentions the hadith reported by Imam Ahmed rahimahullah and Imam Abu Dawood rahimahullah and the hadith is sahih on the authority of Abdul ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu qal sami'atu rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yakul inna ruqa wa tanaima والطيولتا شرك عبد الله بن مسعود رضي الله عنه said that I heard the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم saying that verily الرقع these such recitations that the people use for removing sickness or, or, or protecting someone from harm الرقع الرقيا and here of course the intended meaning of الرقيا it means the رقيا which contains shirk or that رقيا which doesn't fulfill the conditions that make Rukya lawful. That Rukya which doesn't fulfill these conditions, then that and a tamaim, tying something, piece of cloth or leather or pouch or something with some words written on it or otherwise, to the children or to the animals or to our properties, a tamaim or a tamima, and a tiwala, that which the people use, thinking that it has the ability to cause a woman to love her husband 
for a man to love his wife or the opposite to turn someone away from those who they love he said that all of this is shirk the shirk and of course whether it is mainly shirk or minor shirk depends on the intention or the belief of the person if they believe that this thing is a sabab a cause or a reason that has the ability to bring about good or to prevent harm in and of itself independent of Allah then that's shirk akbar it is mainly shirk which takes the person out of Islam and if they died on that they will never enter the paradise Otherwise, if they believe that it is a reason or a cause that brings about good or prevents harm by connecting you to Allah, but the benefit is really from Allah, if they believe it like that, then it is minor shirk because it is something that has not been legislated by Allah or decreed by Allah to bring about good or to prevent harm. Therefore, taking it as a cause or reason, while it has not been legislated or decreed by Allah as such, it is minor shirk. Yani attributing it to it, some power, that it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not uh, given to it. The Shaykh here, Rahimahullah, says in this hadith, Abdul ibn Mas'ud informs us, عنه, that the Prophet وسلم, informed us that al-ruqa and al-tanaim, that which the people tie to their children, or otherwise, an attiwala, that which is used to bring about love between people, which is not there naturally, that uh, all of these things are a form of a shirk, association of something as an equal or a partner with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. From this hadith, the Shaykh mentions three points. The first of them is the prohibition of ar and that it is a type of shirk except of course that which has been legislated in the sharia yani which fulfills the conditions of the sharia not containing any type of shirk in it yani the lawful ruqa likewise the second point the prohibition of at-tamaim and that it is a form of shirk and the third one the prohibition of at-tiwala and also that it is a form of shirk the relationship between this hadith and the chapter heading on the subject of Tawheed is that this hadith indicates that Ar-Ruqa, the one which is not legislated in the Sharia or doesn't fulfill the conditions of the Sharia, along with At-Tama'im, and also in reference to At-Tama'im, there is difference of opinion as we said, some of the scholars held that if it's from the Qur'an, then it's lawful, if it's from other than the Qur'an, then it's prohibited, uh, and the correct opinion is that all Tama'im are prohibited, or at least at best, even if it's from the Qur'an, it's better to avoid it uh, because the Qur'an hasn't been legislated. The Prophet ﷺ hasn't suggested that the Qur'an be used in this way as a means of healing or protection. But what has come from the Prophet ﷺ the use of the Qur'an as a healing is reading, recitation of the Qur'an as mentioned in a number of hadith, the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri when he healed the leader of the Arab people who refused to give them hospitality who was stung by a scorpion and he healed him by recitation of Qur'an. And other hadith in which the Prophet used to read over himself and others had read over him, including uh, the angel Jibril. So, uh, these things, At-Tamam in general and At-Tiwala, this hadith indicates that they are a form of shirk. And here the Shaykh mentions a note that the scholars have differed concerning At-Tamima, as we said, if it is from the Qur'an. Some of them said that it's haram, and this is the more correct opinion based upon the general meaning of the hadith, 
which doesn't, there's no exception, there's no other proof which makes an exception for some type of tamima. therefore the hadith is left in its general or absolute meaning and that means it should be prohibited while some of the scholars said that it's permissible mubaha uh, by qiyas or analogy between the permission of al-ruqya al-ruqya with the Qur'an has been allowed so they said by qiyas then a tamima which contains the Qur'an should also be allowed the correct opinion is the first opinion that it should not be allowed and Allah knows best the next hadith is the hadith reported by Imam Ahmed rahimahullah and Imam Al-Tirmidhi rahimahullah and this hadith is Hassan as it was declared by Shaykh al-Albani rahimahullah on the authority of Abdullah ibn Uqaym marfu'an marfu'an meaning that he attributed to the Prophet sallallahu this saying man ta'allaqa shay'an wuqila ilayhi that whoever ties something like an amulet or talisman or that which is similar to them yani tying it with the belief and the intention and the objective that it has some ability to bring some good or to protect him from harm whoever ties it or wears it with that intention and that belief then he will be left to it he will be left in charge of it yani if he relied upon that thing and depended upon it to protect him instead of depending on Allah then he will be left. Allah will not protect him and Allah will not help him. He will be left to that thing which he has given himself over to. Whoever believes in something that it can protect them, then Allah will leave them in the charge of that thing to protect them. And of course it will never protect them because no one can protect from harm or bring about any good except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So whoever puts their trust in other than Allah, then they will be left to that thing which they have trusted in. And that means that they will be abandoned. Malish. Barakallah fikum. Here yeah, the Shaykh says the gentleman in this hadith is Abdullah ibn Uqaym radiallahu anhu mentions that the Prophet informed him that whoever relies upon something then they will be left in charge of that thing but whoever has turned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his need then Allah will make a way out for him and will make things easy for him while whoever has depended on other than Allah then his matter will be left to that thing which he has depended upon and he will be indeed abandoned because all good is in the hand of Allah and no one is able no one other than Allah is able to do any good for anyone from this hadith the shaykh mentions two benefits the first of them is the obligation of a tawakkul ala Allah of putting one's trust and relying totally upon Allah it is obligatory on us put our trust in Allah alone and this doesn't contradict Al-Akh bil-asbab al-mubaha yani it doesn't contradict the requirement or the expectation that a Muslim should take all precautions and should make use of whatever measures are lawful in the Sharia to bring about any good or to protect oneself from harm yani a person for example if they're going into an area where there's some kind of disease and there's some injection or some kind of medicine that can protect you from that which is known medically then the person should take that medicine to protect them from that disease this is acceptable in Islam this, there's no contradiction between that taking those precautions and putting your trust in Allah as long as the measures that you take as a protection are that which is legislated in the Sharia or known through experience by yani, uh, by actual practice that this thing actually has some effect to protect the person or to cure them or to 
then you bring about some kind of cure. So the obligation of trusting in Allah, while the putting one's trust in Allah is in no way contradictory to taking the lawful and permissible measures to assure that one achieves one's goal or to assure success in a matter. The second one, that whoever turns away from Allah, seeking some benefit from other than Allah, they will indeed be abandoned, they will be left without any help or any way. The relationship between this hadith and the chapter, that which has been mentioned concerning Ar-Raqa and Al-Tamam, is that this hadith indicates uh, the prohibition of seeking benefit from other than Allah. Therefore, seeking benefit from the Tamam, protection or any good, it is prohibited. Bringing about any good or protecting one from harm, it is prohibited. As this hadith indicates that seeking good, it should only be from Allah. Whoever puts their trust in other than Allah, they will be left. And the relationship between this hadith and the, and the title of uh, the chapter of uh, I mean the subject of Tawheed is that this hadith indicates that the person will be abandoned. Whoever puts their trust and relies upon other than Allah in seeking some benefit or protecting them from harm because seeking benefit and protection from harm is of the actions that are exclusive to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and whoever seeks it from other than Allah has committed an act of shirk. Uh, the fourth hadith that the Shaykh mentions is a hadith reported by Imam Ahmed in his Musnad, Rahimahullah. And this hadith is the hadith from Ruwayfi. Ruwayfi. And in the book it's mentioned Ruwayfa. Ruwayfa, the name of the Sahabi. But his name is Ruwayfi'un. Ruwayfi'a and in some of the narrations after me فأخبر الناس أن من عقد لحيته أو تقلد وطرا أو استنجى برجع دابة أو عظم فإن محمدا بريء منه أو in some of the narrations in الترمذي and مسند إمام أحمد فإن محمدا منه بريء he said, perhaps your life, you will live a long life after me. So inform the people that whoever ties a knot in his dihya, in his beard, whoever ties a knot in his beard, or whoever ties a necklace of bowstring around one's neck or the neck of an animal, and he's thinking that there is some benefit in it to protect them from harm or to bring about some good, or whoever makes istinja. And here, the meaning is istijmar, because istinja is with water, and istijmar is with a solid substance. Whoever makes istinja, cleaning of their private parts by the use, use of the uh, dung of an animal, or by using a bone, whoever does so, then tell them that verily Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam 
is innocent or free of them and he has no relation to them. Here, the Shaykh says that here Ruwaifi radiallahu anhu informed us in this hadith that the Prophet ﷺ informed him that his life would be long. And indeed, according to the books of narrators of hadith and life of Sahaba, Ruwaifi lived 56, or according to some of the scholars such as Al-Iraqi, he said 53 years after the Hijrah. And he lived a half a century after the migration of the Prophet ﷺ, which is a proof of the, it's an indication of the prophethood of the Prophet ﷺ that he knew by revelation from Allah that Ruwaifi was going to live a long life after him. Many of the Sahaba died within 10 or 15 or 20 years after the Prophet ﷺ was Ruwaifi radiallahu anhu lived more than 50 years after the Hijrah. Uh, so he said, since you are, going, you are going to live a long life, then you must inform the people after me that whoever ties a knot in his beard or whoever ties a necklace or string or rope or bowstring around the necks their own necks or their animals or whoever makes istinja or cleaning their private parts with the dung of an animal or with a bone then verily the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is free of them, he is innocent of them and he has nothing to do with them due to their actions, these actions which are prohibited. And the important one here is the tying of the bowstrings around one's neck or around the neck of the children or animals as a means of protection, this is a form of shirk and perhaps even the tying of the beard as some of the scholars said that the tying of the beard here has different possible meanings from amongst it is that the Arabs in Jahiliyyah they used to tie a knot in their beard to show that they were someone great and someone or the leader of a tribe or the leader of the people and sometimes they used to tie a knot in their beard when they went out to war and likewise it also used to be used as Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen rahimahullah said that sometimes they used to tie the knot in their beard because they believed that it was a protection from jinn in any case all of these things are prohibited and the most important of them, the one that's very clear, is the use of the tying of strings or ropes or something around the neck in order to protect oneself from harm or from the evil eye or to get some benefit. And likewise, the use of the waste, the dung of the animals or the bones, the use of them for istinja to clean one's private parts, which was common in the time of Jahiliyyah and in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the people living in the desert, they used to use any material that they found available to clean themselves with. Uh, it is prohibited, as the Prophet ﷺ mentioned in an authentic hadith reported in the Sahih of Muslim, that the rauf, don't make istinja, cleaning your private parts after defecation. Don't clean your private parts using the dung of animals. وَلَا بِالْعِظَامِ nor using bones فَإِنَّهُ زَادُوا إِخْوَانِكُمْ مِنَ الْجِنِ because it is used as provisions for your brothers from amongst the jinn and in the bones is the food of the jinn and the dung from the animals is the food of the animals of the jinn as some of the scholars said in this hadith, the Shaykh mentions five points. The first of them is the miracle of the Prophet ﷺ in knowing that Ruwaiti was going to live a long life. 
and informing him of such. Number two, the acceptance of the report or witnessing of one person, khabar al-wahid. And also we may understand here, though the shaykh didn't mention it here, what is clearly also mentioned in the hadith, the obligation of spreading knowledge when someone came to know. As the Prophet ﷺ told him something, and told him since you are going to live a long life, it's obligatory on you to report it to others. Number three, the prohibition of tying knots in the beard, for whatever reason it may be, from the acts of jahiliyyah. And number four, the prohibition of tying necklaces from the bolstering around the animals for some type of protection. Number five, the prohibition of al-istijma' or cleaning the private parts after relieving oneself by using the dung of animals or using bones. And this has been prohibited because he says that the bones, it is the food of jinn. And that's mentioned clearly in the hadith reported by Imam Muslim. And the dung is the food of their animals. And that's not mentioned clearly in the hadith. Perhaps there's some other uh, yani narration or report. In any case, the hadith that I found is the hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ said that these things are the zad. They are the provisions of your brothers from amongst the jinn. The relationship of this hadith to the chapter heading, yani that which has been reported or mentioned concerning al-ruqa and al-tamaim, is that this hadith indicates the prohibition of tying something around the necks, especially the bowstrings which they used to believe had some power to protect them from harm. Uh, and the relationship of this hadith to the subject of a tawheed is that this hadith indicates that the Prophet ﷺ declared himself to be free from whoever ties this type of bowstring as a necklace around the neck in order to protect them from some harm. The Prophet ﷺ declared himself to be free from them. Uh, and that is because seeking any benefit or protection from harm is the exclusive right and power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and whoever seeks it from other than Allah has fallen into shirk and therefore the Prophet ﷺ declared himself to be free from them. And some of the scholars said that as a general rule a general qaida that whenever there is a mention that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or his messenger sallallahu declares their bara'a to be innocent or free from someone then it is an indication that that action which the person is doing is prohibited that it is forbidden it is a forbidden action uh, the last evidence that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab mentions are two asar two athar, not hadith from the Prophet ﷺ, but sayings from amongst the early generation of the Muslims from the Tabi'een. Two athar from the Tabi'een. The first of them, it is An Sa'id ibn Jubair, rahimahullah, qal, man qata'a tamimatan min insanin kana ka'adli raqabatin. But whoever cuts a tamima, that which the people hang around their necks or their arms or their feet or other places thinking that it has some benefit or protecting them from harm whoever cuts this tamima from the neck of someone a person then they will get the reward equal to the freeing of a slave and if you note this athar or this report or this narration he said An Sa'id ibn Jubair, Jubair qal that he Sa'id ibn Jubair said he didn't attribute it to the Prophet sallallahu however many of the scholars said that this asr, though it is mawquf on Sa'id ibn Jubair, rahimahullah, though it is mawquf as his own saying, 
but it takes on the ruling of Ar-Raq, that it is marfu'an, attributed to the Prophet since the information that he mentions here is not something that a person can know through jihad. It can only be known by, or through ijtihad. It can only be known through revelation. How can anyone say that whoever cuts the tamima, that they will get the reward of freeing a slave? Yani, the determining of rewards for actions is with Allah. It can only come through revelation. Therefore, some of the scholars said that this is mawkuf, uh, as a statement of Jubair, of Sayyid ibn Jubair, but it is, takes the hukm of Ar-Raf, or to be marfu'an, attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. However, it's mursal. However, it's mursal, because it is a statement of a tabi'i, attributing something, or indirectly, in, in judgment, or in, in uh, and it takes the ruling or consideration as being attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Uh, therefore, uh, and he has not mentioned who he has heard it from, from amongst Sahaba, but yani, any statement of a tabi attributing something to the Prophet in action or speech is considered as mursal. He has a break in the chain after the tabi. Therefore, it is, it should be considered as a weak, as a weak narration, even if it is marfu'an, hukman, even if it is considered as attributed to the Prophet due to the information that it contains. However, some of the scholars said that perhaps he made this statement by Qiyas, uh, that when a person uh, prevents someone from falling into shirk by cutting the tanima, which is an act of shirk, from them, it is as though they have freed them from shirk and freed them from the punishment of the hellfire. In that sense, they get the reward like having freed a slave, the person who has been destined to be punished due to this act of shirk. The other report, which is similar in meaning, and this one he said, it is narrated by Waqiyah. Yani the first one he said, it was reported by Waqiyah, who was one of the great scholars from amongst the early generations of the Muslims. He died in the year 197, just before the end of the second century of the Hijrah. And he was a great imam and a scholar of hadith. And of those who reported from him, who learned hadith from him, was Al-Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal, rahimahumullah. Then he says, وَلَهُ عَنْ إِبْرَهِيمِ يعني that Waqiyah, who narrated this hadith from Sayyid ibn Jubair, also narrated from Ibrahim, meaning Ibrahim al-Nakhai, also one of the great scholars from the Tabi'een, rahimahullah. He reported from Ibrahim, قال, that Ibrahim al-Nakhai said, كَانُوا يَقْرَهُونَ التَّمَائِمْ قُلَّهَا مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ وَغَيْرُ الْقُرْآنِ That they used to hate, they used to consider makruh. And here the meaning of makruh, it means haram. They used to consider as makru, kana yakrahuna, they used to detest or consider it as forbidden. At-tamayim, kullaha, all types of tamayim, every one of them, without exception. Min al-Qur'an, whether that which is written in it is from the Qur'an, wa ghayr al-Qur'an, or if it, that which is written in it is from other than the Qur'an. They didn't make any distinction, they used to hate all of them. And here Ibrahim al-Nakhai is referring to those from amongst the tabi'een. Yani, he is referring to the ashab Abdullah ibn Mas'ud the students or companions of Abdul Mas'ud عنه, that they used to consider that all types of command without any distinction between that which is from the Qur'an otherwise to be forbidden. That was the opinion of Abdul Mas'ud and it was also the opinion of his students. And, this, and here the translation of the Shah of this book contains a big mistake in that the translator has mistakenly translated the statements of the explainer that, this, that those who used to hate the Tamaim, all of them, was the Salaf al-Sali. And in one place, 
he says as salaf and he understood this to mean the sahaba the companions of the prophet but actually what this statement refers to those who used to hate the tamayim all of them the statement from Ibrahim al-Nakhai it was not the companions of the prophet that he is referring to but he is referring to the companions or the students of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu and he wrote the companions of the prophet and this is a big mistake attributing this position to a sahaba companions of the Prophet when it was the opinion of Abdul Mas'ud and his students uh, <coughs> then he says the explanation of these two narrations the first of them in the first of them we were informed by Sa'id ibn Jubair rahimahullah that whoever removes a tamima from a person it will be he will, it will be as though he will get the reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala equal to the reward of freeing a slave and that is because he has freed the one who tied this tamima to himself he has freed him from the fire by preventing him from shirk and he has freed him from slavery to his desires or passions and slavery to a shirk in the second narration the second athar or report from the tabi'een we are informed by the narrator that the salaf and here by salaf he means some of those from the early generations of the muslims and specifically he means the students or companions of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud that they used to hate or detest at tamayim and they used to order them to be cut and removed whether they were from the Quran or from other than the Quran from these two narrations he mentions two points the first of them is the excellence of making inkar or rejection or speaking out against evil and here he means the evil the wearing of tamima or tamayim the second is the prohibition of At-Tamima using these things in a way thinking that they have some power to protect you from harm or to bring you any good number three the excellence of freeing a slave yani he compared the freeing of a person from shirk to freeing of a slave and this shows the excellence of freeing slaves because certainly freeing someone from shirk there is no greater action because shirk is the thing that causes a person to lose eternally in the hellfire if they die on it Number four, the prohibition, the prohibition amongst the scholars of the Salaf, the prohibition of, of At-Tamayim. And here, of course, he means, again, he means the students of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Uh, whether that is from the Qur'an or other than the Qur'an. The relationship of this hadith to the chapter heading is that this hadith indicates the prohibition of tying At-Tamima. the prohibition of tying a tamima to oneself to protect oneself from harm because the bringing about of any benefit or repulsing any harm is of the actions that are exclusive exclusively the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and therefore seeking such benefit or seeking protection from harm from other than Allah it is an act of shirk this is the end of the uh, report and the Masail at the end of the chapter, inshallah, are very important. And inshallah, I'll try to go through them as quickly as possible so that we can complete them this time. The first of the Masail, the Shaykh mentions, the first of them is the explanation of Arruqa and At-Tamayim. Yani, what are they? We have already discussed them. The second of them is the Tafsir of At-Tiwala. The explanation of At-Tiwala, and we have already discussed it. The third of them is that these three things are all a type of shirk 
without any exception. Uh, and this, yani, Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen said that this statement is required some investigation because of the fact that al-ruqa, as opposed to the other two, al-tama'im and al-tiwala, that there is some type of ruqa that is established from the Prophet ﷺ. He himself has done it and it has been done to him. Therefore, we cannot say that it is absolutely al-ruqa along with the other two that is absolutely prohibited. As for uh, the second of them, al-tama'im, also there is some difference of opinion about it if it is only containing Qur'an. If it's other than the Qur'an, then it's prohibited, no doubt about it. And if it contains Qur'an, there's difference of opinion, and the correct and stronger opinion is that it's also prohibited even if it contains Qur'an, as it hasn't been legislated from the Prophet ﷺ to use the Qur'an in that manner. The third issue, or the fourth, the fourth issue, is that uh, the recitation that someone recites from the Qur'an or otherwise, if it is based on the truth, true speech, yani from the Qur'an or from the supplications of the Prophet or the names or characteristics of Allah, if someone uses this ruqya for protection from the ayn or curing them from the evil eye or from a scorpion or poisonous bite of any insect, then this type of ruqya is not of the prohibited type. Uh, the opposite that which is not from the Qur'an or from the Sunnah and so on, then it is rejected. The next point, number five, is that At-Tamima, if it is from the Qur'an, At-Tamima, something that the people tie to themselves, some type of writing or recitation or whatever words, if it is from the Qur'an, the Tamima that is from the Qur'an, that they tie on their arm or around their neck or on their body, the scholars has, have differed concerning it. Is it of the types of shirk or not? And already this has been discussed and uh, the scholars differed about it. And this is, they differed about whether or not this type, that the tamayim, which is from the Qur'an, is, of, is it of the prohibited type of uh, tamayim, if it contains the Qur'an. And the original ruling is that it has not been legislated that the Qur'an be used in such a way and therefore the correct opinion is that at tamayim even if it contains verses of Qur'an it's also prohibited. Number six, the sixth issue is that tying the bowstrings or other such string or rope or other things around one's animal to protect them from the ayn that it is of those prohibited types of at tamayim it is a prohibited type of tamayim and it is forbidden. Here the Shaykh says, he makes a note, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen rahimahullah, he says that this is from shirk and lately we have found many other things from amongst them is some type of metal that the people are selling in the market saying that if you attach it to your body it cures you from rheumatism. And he said, we don't know if it is so that it actually has some ability to cure but the original ruling is that it should be rejected because there is no legal ruling in the Sharia showing that it has any ability and there is no proof even from that which we can detect physically that it has any type of substance that goes into the body and protects the body or cures the body from rheumatism or other such things. The seventh point is the stern warning against those who tie bowstrings or other, other, other such things that are tamima, tying them to their body. There is a stern warning against the use of such since the Prophet ﷺ has declared himself free 
of any responsibility or any blame or any relationship to those who do so. The apparent meaning of his, his bara'ah from those people is that this is an act of kufr which takes a person out of Islam. However, some of the scholars said that he has only declared himself innocent from their action innocent from the action and not innocent from them as Al-Imam al-Nawi rahimahullah said in his explanation in Sahih Muslim of this hadith however the apparent meaning should be taken as it is unless there's a proof to change it from the apparent meaning to some other meaning this is the original ruling that the texts of Sharia should be understood as they appear to be unless there's a proof showing otherwise therefore it is better to say that the Prophet ﷺ has declared himself to be free of people who use these things because if they use it thinking that it has some ability to bring some benefit or to bring some harm, when benefit and harm is only the, that ability is only with Allah, then it is an act of shirk and the Prophet ﷺ is right in declaring himself free from them. The eighth point is the excellence or the excellent reward of those who remove the tamima from a person if they found it on someone. And this is based on the saying of Sayyid ibn Jubair, rahimahullah, that they will get the reward like equal to the reward of freeing a slave. However, the Shaykh says here, is the saying of Sayyid ibn Jubair a proof or not? And this requires a lengthy discussion and because the time is short, we don't have the chance to complete it. But basically what he said is if somebody says that it's not a proof, then we would say that it still can be accepted from the perspective of Qiyas. Yani, but his opinion here, we might understand that the person will get the reward, like the reward of freeing a slave, since the person who removed that tamima from someone has protected them from falling into shirk, and they have protected them from falling into the fire, and they have freed them from slavery to shaitan and evil, and for this reason, he said, by P.S., perhaps we can understand that the person would get a great reward, like the reward of freeing a person from slavery. In any case, the issue requires some discussion and that is the issue of whether or not the sayings of the tabi'een are used as a proof or not. In this case, we said that his saying, even though it is mawkuf, but it takes on the ruling as though it is marfu'ah, attributed to the Prophet because of the fact that the statement is a statement of matters which cannot be known by the intellect, nor can it be known by ijtihad, but it only can be known through revelation. The ninth point is that the speech of Ibrahim, meaning Ibrahim and Nakhai, rahimahullah, is not in contradiction to what has been mentioned previously concerning the difference of opinion, the difference of opinion amongst the early generations of the Muslims. The statement of Ibrahim is that the companions, that they all considered all tamayim prohibitive and shirk. But here, the actual meaning of this statement of Ibrahim and Nakhai, it is referring to the companions the students of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, not to the companions of the Prophet So there is no contradiction here, because he didn't mean the companions of the Prophet, nor did he mean even the tabi'een as a whole, but he only meant those tabi'een who were the students of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Uh, so this is the end of what the Shaykh said. We can just look quickly at the questions. Uh, at the handout, at the end of the handout, very, very quickly, because time is very short. Um, and if anybody has the answers to them, you can answer them quickly. Otherwise, I will answer them for you. <laughs> the first question, why was the necklace of bowstring required to be cut or removed? It was because it was an act of shirk, believing that something has power other than Allah. Number two, define a ruqah. 
and mention its hukum. Arwaqa, as we said, is al-qira'ah, something that is read. And its ruling is that as long as it meets the conditions, the three conditions that has been legislated in the Sharia, then it's lawful. If it doesn't meet those conditions, then it's unlawful. And those conditions are that it should be in language that's understood, and it should be from that speech of, the, of Allah, the Qur'an, or from the Sunnah, supplications of the Prophet or the names and characteristics of Allah, and also that the most importantly, it's the person who uses it should not believe that those, that recitation or that reading has some power in and of itself, independent of Allah, but if it brings about any good, it is by the decree, the divine decree, the color of Allah subhanahu wa Define a tamayim and mention its hukum. A tamayim is that which the people tie around the necks of their children or themselves or their animals containing yani, something that they say has the ability to prevent harm or to bring about some good. And it's ruling, the scholars differed about it if it contains Qur'an. Some of them said it's permissible and some of them said it's not. And the correct opinion that it's not. And uh, the other opinion is those who said that it's all prohibited. Define a tiwala and mention its hukum. A tiwala is that which the people use. That's what the people use, which they said has the ability to cause a man to love his wife, or to cause a woman to love a husband, or any man to love a woman, or a woman to love, or opposite, or to turn somebody away from someone, and its ruling is that it's prohibited, that it is a form of, of magic, and it is shirk if someone believes that this thing has power other than Allah. Explain whoever wore something, a talisman around his neck, will be put in his charge. What does it mean? It means that if someone depends on something other than Allah, they, they depend on something, some person or anything in the creation that it has power other than Allah, then they will be left to that thing to take care of them, and that means they will indeed be abandoned. What may, derive, what may be derived from the words, O Ruwaiti, uh, it is probable that your life will be long. From this we can understand, it is an indication that, that, it, that the Prophet knew that he was going to live long by revelation. It's an indication of his prophethood. What is meant by whoever tied his beard? Muhammad is innocent of him. It means that the people who tie their beards, according to the belief of Jahiliyyah, thinking that this tying of the beard may protect them from the ayn, from the evil eye. Or the other meanings that they used to use it in time of war otherwise. But this one is the appropriate meaning. What is the hukum or ruling concerning cleaning the private, the private parts using animal dung or bone? It is not permissible because it is the food of the jinn and the animals. It is not permissible to use it to make istinjao, istijma. What is the dalil proof for, for this ruling and what is its ta'aleel or justification? The dalil for it is the hadith of the Prophet that he is free of whoever uses the dung of animals or bones for istinjao. And the ta'aleel or the reasoning is that it is the food of the jinn. What is meant by the saying of Ibrahim, meaning Ibrahim and Nakhi, rahimahullah, they used to hate or consider makro at tanaim, and who is he referring to by they? He is referring to the companions of Abdul Masarud, and what he means by makro here, he means haram. There are two types of makro. It is for tahrim uh, or tanzih. Kiraat tahrim means that when this is the one referred to here, kiraat tahrim, something that's absolutely prohibited. And there's kira'ah al-tanzi, kira'ah al-tanzi, which means it's a lesser prohibition, something that is discouraged but not absolutely haram. The one that is intended here is kira'ah, kira'ah al-tahrim, the absolute prohibition. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim.